Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. As always, I hope you had a great week. Remember, you can always find Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Pandora, GoodPods, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find Let's Talk Micro. As for our social media, I am on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1, on LinkedIn as Luis Plaza, on TikTok as Let's Talk Micro, and a YouTube channel that is called Let's Talk Micro. And if you have any feedback, any podcast topic suggestions, you know, you can always email those at letstalkmicro at outlook.com. So please go ahead, subscribe to the podcast, download episodes, leave a review if the app allows you to do so. Definitely any suggestions, any feedback, they are welcome and appreciated. And on social media, I always like to post pictures of organisms and give updates as to when the next episode is coming up. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, please go ahead and do so. You know, it was a great episode, great conversation with Mathilde Scott, Nicholas, and Katie. So Mathilde is a microbiologist from the University of Sorbonne in Paris. And she wanted to come up, you know, she came up with a way to teach microbiology to students. You know, like she talks about medical students. It can be used for a refresher for lab technicians. So she came up with this game and then Nicholas designed the game and Katie did the drawings. So the whole team was on the podcast and they talk about the game, how it works, you know, what kind of audience is it intended for, what kind of reception it had at the beginning. So overall, it was a great episode and definitely I applaud the efforts of Mathilde because, you know, it's always great when you're seeing educators that are figuring out ways to, you know, improve, you know, she wanted to improve herself. You know, we always want to deliver our material as educators, you know, in the best manner possible and make sure that the students, you know, they receive the information and they retain it. So definitely shout out to Mathilde and her team for Bacteria Game. So this week is actually Lab Week. So happy Lab Week to all my fellow laboratorians out there. You will do such great work. So definitely please continue doing so. So I appreciate everything you do, all the way from educators to people working on the benches to managers. You know, right? It takes a village to make this work. So your educators out there making sure your students, you know, you're preparing the medical lab science students, you know, your MLTs as well. So you're doing your best out there. You know, managers keeping up with, uh, with staffing and all the demands that the job entails. And, you know, the, the bench workers, you know, the bench techs doing all the testing and making sure, you know, right? Always using that knowledge and providing accurate results that help the patients so much. So definitely thank you for everything you do. So what better than on Lab Week, you know, have an episode that features a medical lab sciences program. So, you know, I had programs before, and so this time is the Medical Lab Sciences Program from St. Louis University in St. Louis, Missouri. So with me, you know, I have the director of the program, Amanda Reed, and she's also the bacteriology instructor. So it was great, you know, having a director that at the same time, you know, they teach micro. So we had a great conversation about the program and something that caught my eye, which was, you know, name that bug. Which overall, you know, you'll hear about it in the episode, 
but it is meant to, you know, to prepare students to make sure that, you know, that they recognize the organisms, they have a good idea of what it is before they do biochemicals. And that is great. You know, we also talk about biochemicals, you know, we talk about automation. So definitely overall, it was a great conversation. I hope you enjoyed. So let's go ahead and listen to it. So in today's episode, we are talking lab and we are talking micro at the same time. You know, every now and then I do episodes that feature MLS programs. And they're just, you know, they're pertain to the MLS, the medical lab scientists, uh, the medical medical lab sciences programs. But on this time, we're going to talk about that. But at the same time, talk a little bit about microbiology. So with me today, I have the program director from the St. Louis University MLS program. Amanda Reed. Amanda, welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Definitely my pleasure. So for the audience, let's go ahead and start with an introduction. Sure. Yeah. So um, again, my name is Amanda Reed. I'm the Medical Laboratory Science Program Director at the uh, at St. Louis University. Um, I have been Program Director, um, gosh, since about 2015. Um, I've been teaching here at SLU since about 2012. Um, I'm also a graduate from this program. So I graduated from this program um, with a second bachelor's um, in 2008, uh, but this was not my original career path. My original career path was supposed to be um, teaching high school, high school biology and high school chemistry and uh, didn't work out too well, too well for me. Uh, they, they, this destroyed me. <laughs> I couldn't handle them. So um, I was trying to figure out what I could do with my biology degree and my chemistry degree, or not, sorry, my biology degree. I didn't have a chemistry degree, but my bio, my biology degree and my master's in education. And, um, and it turns out, you know, I didn't prepare myself for uh, working in research labs or industry as a, as a student. I didn't, I was focused on education. So um, I was trying to figure out what I could do with this biology degree and um, turns out I really wasn't qualified for much because I didn't prepare myself in that way. Um, and so I was trying to figure out how I could get um, involved in healthcare. And I just, you know, did some internet searching, did some Google searching and um, saw that many hospital labs were hiring, but you needed a special certification. And so I didn't know what those letters meant. I didn't know what ASCP meant on the, um, on all of the job forms. And so uh, uh, searched a little bit more, figured out it was um, a, cert a certification to be a medical laboratory scientist, and then searched for how I could become that um, and found actually St. Louis University's program. So I was a student here at St. Louis University, got a second bachelor's in medical lab science. And um, once I graduated, I was fortunate enough to be hired for a day shift micro position, which never happens. Uh, day shift micro at um, one of our affiliates um, in St. Louis, uh, Barnes Jewish Hospital, which is a fantastic um, hospital. Got to see some crazy stuff um, when I worked at Barnes. And um, then about three, four years later, um, I got a letter in the mail saying that there was a faculty position open here at SLU and that I should apply. And so I did. And uh, now I'm in charge of the program that I graduated from. So it's been an interesting journey so far. Yes, it definitely sounds like it. And, you know, one thing that your story definitely, it's very, 
it resonates with a lot of the medical lab scientists or the students that we see that they have finished a degree and they're either, you know, they didn't know about this program or the same thing, you know, like someone does have a degree and then they find out that to work in a hospital, they need, you know, to have a certain training and credentials. And so definitely it's very typical, which is one of the things that why we're now bringing more awareness about the MLS. And some programs, you know, are doing summer immersion and definitely hitting social media, which is how I found you. I know that this program definitely has had a presence. When I started the podcast, I probably is one of the first few pages that I saw, like on Instagram. And I see you're on TikTok now. And I will talk more about that at the end. Um, yeah, but okay. and so yeah, and then when you said what you said about uh it must have been like you know, like a different feeling, right? Going back to the same school and now, you know, teaching in it, because I I've experienced that and it felt so different, you know, like instead of sitting back and watching someone, I'm the one that they're watching. So it's definitely a different feeling, right? Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's strange being on the other side. Um, but I also think it's beneficial because you have, you've been through it and you have, um, have a certain level of empathy <laughs> for them. Uh, cause I remember how it, how it felt to be that stressed out. Um, I think it's good to be able to, yeah, to empathize with them. I hear you. Um, so let's go ahead. And so what kind of program, you know, like I mentioned before, and there are some different MLS programs out there, you know, like your two plus two, four plus one. So uh, what kind of program is the MLS program at the St. Louis University? Yeah, we are a uh, two plus two program. Uh, so we are a bachelor's program. Uh, we are freshman entry. So once a student applies and is um, admitted to SLU, as soon as they declare MLS, they are part of the major. Um, their first two years, they spend um, taking their, uh, they take actually pre-med level biologies and chemistries. Um, they do their math courses um, and then they do their liberal arts core, right? They get all of those kind of done um, their first two years. And then their last two years, <clears throat> excuse me, their last two years, um, they spend focusing on MLS specific courses. And so their junior year is all lecture and student lab. Um, fall semester of their uh, senior year is also lecture and student lab. And then their spring semester, I send them out to a full semester of clinical rotations um, locally here in St. Louis. We have typically, we have about, um, we have about eight to 10 students per cohort. Um, that's a typical size. Uh, I have the, if all the stars aligned and all of my clinical affiliates could take every single one of my students that I have space for, I could have as many as 20. Um, but as you said earlier, um, we're trying to get the word out about MLS. MLS is kind of a hidden profession. It's a hidden major. Um, and so it's, it's typical that we we don't fill those those 20 slots, although I try. I'm trying. Uh, but uh, we typically are around eight to ten. OK, so that so you don't fill all the all the slots. OK, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm trying I'm trying really hard. <laughs> yeah, that's just definitely, you know, we have to continue bringing that awareness. And and once again, once we hit that goal that a lot of people are aware, then we have to be prepared to write to increasing the the program and you know have more classes because typically you have like one class rotating at a time but if we achieve the goal of bringing awareness you know that will change and then we we have to adapt to that yeah um you know i was thinking when what you said about definitely years ago 
with the um, uh, first shift position in microbiology, yeah, that was very hard. Like I had to work on night shift and then start working my way down. Uh, nowadays, it's a little bit more demand. So maybe it might be a little bit easier. But I remember like 10 years ago, yeah, it was just first shift was like full of 20, you know, techs that had been working 20, 30 years on the bench. So one position, it was so rare for it to open. So I definitely agree with that. Oh, yeah. I know. I snatched that up right away. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, that's the way that it is set up. That's where you when you get that rich experience with cultures. And, you know, most of the plate reading is done on first shift. So that's one of the things that if you want to learn and get into the whole world of cultures, yeah, you have to be on first shift. Yeah. Although that's starting to change a little bit with with um, automation and stuff, which I think we'll we'll talk about later. But I definitely agree. Okay, so you know one thing that this is a little bit rare in the sense that I have talked to other MLS directors before, um, but they're not the micro instructor. So this is you know this is also very interesting for me. So you are the bacteriology instructor. So I want to ask about that. So how is the micro portion structure? You know, like do you do like uh, some schools they do one semester of a parasite and one of micro, or how is the one of your program? Yeah. So. Um... Typically what happens is um, in the fall semester, we have a course that's uh, just called medical microbiology. And it is a general course. Um, it's open to not only MLS majors, but it's open to other majors in the uh, Doisy College of Health Sciences, um, which is the, the college that I'm, I'm located in within St. Louis University. So, um, so it's open to outside majors. Um, so it's a general uh, medical microbiology course. They learn about the different groups of organisms. Uh, they learn about disease association and they learn um, about very basic um, identification, just enough so that if they were working, like let's say we had a, um, a nutrition and dietetics student, um, the, the student would be able to be like, oh, okay, this patient is, um, is getting over about of I'm just making something up off the top of my head. Um, they're getting over um, a, a case of, of food poisoning. They had Campylobacter. At least the the uh, the nutrition student would understand. Okay, I know what that organism is. I I know um, what disease it's associated with. So it's it's a very kind of general med micro course. And then in the spring semester of that same year, the MLS students only take a bacteriology specific course uh, lecture, and then they take a hands-on lab that complements that lecture, focused just on bacteriology. And the focus of that course is ID, um, so growth and ID. So, so they get a, a full uh, hands-on semester uh, where the, lecture or the lab complements the lecture. And then um, finally, we, we finish it all up with a full semester of mycology parasitology course. Um, that course, we used to have a hands-on lab with that course, but it ended up mostly being slide reading. And so we've digitized it um, and incorporated it into more of just like a, a lecture-based course with some, um, some imaging and, and things like that that they have to look at. Uh, but they don't have a full student lab associated with it. And then finally, you know, after that, they they go to clinic, and I send them on um, a, a four week microbiology uh, clinical rotation, and and then they have their other areas that they that they rotate through, 
but our microbiology rotation is four weeks long. Yeah, that's about the, the time. I, mean, I remember mine was like four weeks long and then definitely the best four weeks in the rotation for me. I mean, I knew that I love micro early on. I've been objective and I try to other areas. Uh, I always land back here. So now I'm staying here. But definitely, yeah, it's just the, the four weeks. Um, so definitely the, the instructor in me wants to know this uh, as far as how do you assess their their knowledge? You know, typically like unknowns are very popular. Maybe some tests where they get some plates and then they have to do biochemicals. So uh, what kind of testing is done? Yeah, so the way I structure it, um, in the lecture portion of the bacteriology class, they have traditional quizzes and exams. Um, a lot of my exams are kind of case, small case based. So they'll have like a little case scenario, some results and um, the questions all stem from, from those cases. In the laboratory portion, I approach it where they are introduced to organisms a group at a time. Um, so for example, they're introduced to the gram-positive cocci um, in, at the very beginning. They have a lab where they uh, get to see each of the organisms on the plate. They get to gram stain each. They get to do the basic biochemical spot testing, just basic biochemicals on, on the gram positives. And then the next week we would move to um, gram positive rods. Um, so they would learn all the new things about the gram positive rods. And then their unknown for that week would be the gram positive cocci. So they always have a chance to learn about it. And then the following week is their unknown. Um, I make the unknowns um, kind of low stakes, to be honest with you, because I want them to more focus on being comfortable asking questions about the process, the why. Um, and then I don't get into making high stakes unknowns until the very end of the semester. So once we've gone through all of the um, uh, organism groupings, so we go through our gram-positive cocci, we go through our gram-positive rods, we go through our um, uh, kind of, I call them fastidious gram-negative rods. You know, people have different names for how they like to group them, but basic homophilus, Neisseria, gonorrhea, moraxella, that's basically it with those. Um, so we'll go through those. Um, we'll go through our enterobacterialis. We'll go through some uh, non-lactose fermenting gram-negative rods. Anaerobes aren't quite worth it for me to do in our student lab because they take so long to grow and there's not much biochemically they can do in the student lab. We sometimes just grow them so they can smell how gross they are um, and just do some gram staining and things like that. And then I, I pivot. I pivot from groupings to then um, specimen types. So at the end of the semester, I'll mock up Either I'll mock up specimens or I'll get specimens from our clinical affiliates for the students to work up. And then those usually have more than one organism in them. And then we have to differentiate normal flora from pathogen. Uh, so they have to pick out the right pathogen and then identify it, you know, using the schemes that we have in, in our student lab based on our limited, you know, biochemical availability. So um, that's pretty much how we structure it. So we're after spring break now. So actually this morning I went to our, one of our affiliates picked up some uh, blood culture bottles that they were about to throw out because they were done with them. And um, that's going to be this week's unknowns. So they're going to practice blood cultures. That's kind of overall how it's structured. 
Okay, definitely. I, I like it. And uh, yeah, with, with blood cultures, you definitely get to see the best morphology for those cocci. You know, you see those beautiful chains, those beautiful clusters. So it's a, it's a great sample because when we do smears from colonies, they don't look the same as if they will look like coming from the body. Oh, thank you. It's so nice to have somebody else say that. The students don't tend to believe me, but uh, <laughs> I'm like, okay, remember, you know, this isn't from a broth, so it's going to be a little bit hard because you put a whole lot on your on your gram stain, so they're all just clumped together. Uh, they struggle with that. They struggle with that a little bit. Yeah, and then they're they're surprised when they see how how big they are when it comes from blood. So I always yeah, if I do some sort of assessment, I. I specify like if the sample is for blood or something like that. That way, if they identify it, then they, you know, you can fairly say these are, you know, clusters, these are chains, whereas you can really appreciate that on an indirect smear. And I, I do like the fact that you say, you know, kind of identifying what's normal flora or not, because, you know, they do get to work with the organisms. And it is always nice when you see everything isolated in a plate. But on the bench, it's not like that. Sometimes, you know, that pseudomonas that you're trying to isolate, it's buried in a sea of normal flora and a lot of stuff. So training your eyes to recognize those pathogens is definitely something very helpful for the lab. Yeah. And I, I um, you know, since I, I worked in the microbiology lab that, that took students for clinical rotations, I remember sitting at the bench with them and talking through cultures with them and um, realizing that they didn't have that practice yet. Um, even on like a basic level, everything they looked at was isolated, pure plates, nice and pretty. Um, and so once I started teaching, I wanted to make sure that before they go to clinic, that they had at least had an idea of, of how to be like, okay, this is a respiratory, you know, I'm going to scan for betas and I'm going to scan for alphas and rule out rule out pneumo, you know, um, just very basic things like that, uh, before they set foot in clinic. And I, I think it, it helps make their clinical time a little bit more, uh, they can focus on more, um, advanced and unusual things than, you know, more basic things like that. So, yeah, that's, a, that's good. Definitely good. Um, so let's talk about something that really caught my eye when I was looking at your patients on the school's page on social media, which was the name that bug. You know, I, I like it. So uh, what is Name That Bug? So Name That Bug, I have to give full credit to um, a former coworker of mine when I when I worked at Barnes Jewish, um, Robin. Robin came up with Name That Bug for um, students who were doing their clinical rotations, um, just as a way, again, for them to have an idea of what the organism is just by sight before they do any testing. So full credit to Robin. Um, but Name That Bug is essentially... Um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that in the student lab, we go by groups of organisms. So one week will be gram-positive cocci, the next will be gram-positive rods, maybe a week of um, the Enterobacterialis. I still have a hard time getting used to saying that and not Enterobacteriaceae. Um, I have to make a mental effort to do that every single time. Um, and so what name that bug is, is essentially I um, subculture and plate all of the organisms that these students have been exposed to so far. Um, at first, they each get a, they get a blood auger plate of each of the organisms and the blood auger plates just have a number on them. So they're randomly numbered. Um, I have a key, of course. Uh, and um, 
the first thing I do uh, is I give them all of the blood on her plates and then I tell them, okay, first thing that I want you to do is to separate your gram positive cocci from your gram negative rods. Do it, you know, whoever does it quickest, I check them off and then I say, okay, uh, with your gram positive organisms, separate them into staffs and streps. And then they do that as, as fast as they can. Um, once they've done that successfully, then they can identify their gram positive um, cocci, let's say. They get through the gram positive cocci, now they're time to move on to their gram negative rods. And that it's at this time that I'll give them their McConkies that go along with the blood on our plates so that they can use both to help them identify um, the gram negative organisms. So it's really just a practice of them really getting used to what the colony morphology is um, and having a general, a good idea, at least of what they think it is before they even do any testing. So, so that's the point that I like to get them to. So I make it a competition. Uh, whoever gets done the, uh, the first wins, essentially. And uh, this year we have uh, added a crown to it. So whoever wins gets the crown for that week. Um, and then each the crown gets a, a jewel added to it for each new um, each new organism group. So so far we have a gram positive coxine clusters uh, jewel. We have a gram negative rod jewel, and we have a gram positive rod jewel. So at the end of the course, um, someone will be crowned um, the queen of name that bug. I I love it. I have to say. I mean, and what you just said about having them have a good idea of what it is before they even do testing. You know, that's one of the biggest pet peeves of mine. And we'll talk a little bit more about automation in a sec. But definitely, uh, you know, like with just what you need when you work in cultures, and I always try to stress this to students or if I'm training someone, it's about you need to have a good idea of what you have. And you're basically putting it on the instrument to confirm to prove what you have. So you're looking at this organism. So you have an idea. I have a staph aureus. I have E. coli. And granted, you know, some of them, they're a little bit trickier than others, but at the very least, you have a good concept, a good grasp of what you're testing, not just going blindly. And this is one thing, you know, this, there's the only secret to being a good microbiologist is that you have to do the work. It's just as simple as that. And educate yourself, of course, but you have to do it over and over and over again. Repetition, which is, you know, gram stains, seeing the plates multiple times, doing multiple testing. And that's the only way you're going to get proficient. You know, these bugs, they don't read books. They don't go to school. You know, they change all the time. So you have to be looking at them. Even if you're the brightest and you look at a thousand pictures and you memorize them, these things change. So you definitely need to have a good grasp. So I, I do like, you know, what you're doing with them to get that you know, that thinking going about, okay, I have this before I even do a biochemical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, I would say the only drawback is that, um, you know, I have a limited uh, stock of organisms, right? So, you know, our, our staff always looks like our staff. Um, but, you know, when you are working in clinic, when you're working in real life, um, staff can sometimes take on many different shapes and forms, right? So many different colony morphologies. So they get used to seeing ours and I just hope that it, you know, translates a little bit to clinic by the time that they get there. But we've all been fooled, right? We've, if you've worked in the micro lab, you, you know, you've, you've always, we've all been fooled at some point where we were sure it was something and turns out it was something different completely. So I think we've all had that experience. 
Oh yeah, definitely we have, and yeah, it's definitely. And you're talking about unusual morphologies. You know, I I like to if I see an organism like that, I will take a picture and I will share it to kind of just people keep in mind that yeah, you can have this type of morphology. I posted on my social media pages there was a a mucoid staph aureus, which we don't we don't see that often, and it got a lot of reactions over the public saying you know like oh no this is mixed I'm I'm ninety five percent sure it's mixed and I'm like no this is a pure culture this is how it looks but after a while you're like okay well if you think it's mixed that's just you know that's your opinion but but I do like <laughs> to share share pictures of things like that that way you know we can keep it in our mind that just it could happen. And you know, if, if you encounter that, yeah, yeah you, you're aware of it. I once had a catalase negative staph aureus from a blood culture, but it was confirmed staph aureus by PCR. So, uh, you know, they do weird things all the time, these bugs. So you've got to, you've got to stay on top of it. You've got to have a general idea of what you're looking at. Yes, definitely. Um, so as far as, you know, now we're going to talk a little bit about automation and, you know, you teach micro and you have worked in micro. So you definitely, you know, you're aware that molecular is making huge leaps in this field. It's advancing on a, you know, giant, taking giant steps. And we have instruments such as the Molitov, which is wonderful with the volume and for experienced people, it works great. But however, you know, that brings aside that text they're doing less and less tests like biochemicals and gram stains. What are your thoughts on this? So I'm, I'm mixed on this. Um, with Molitoff, like you said, I think it's, it's great for speeding up results. It's, it's great for patient care. Doctors can get information quicker. Um, it's uh, cost-effective. It's more cost-effective for the lab. Um, but on the downside, it's taken away some of the fun, I would say, and some of the art um, that's involved in, in the micro lab. But, um, you know, that's something that I've talked with my clinical, my clinical sites about is, you know, I, I want to know what testing are you still doing? Um, and I would say, you know, they're all still doing catalases. They're all still doing oxidases. They're all still doing indols. So they're doing those basic spot tests. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm definitely keeping those in the student lab. Some of them still have Vitex as backups. Some of them just have two Maldis. You know, if one goes down, they use the other one, which is very fortunate for those who who can afford to have two Maldis. Um, but some do still have Vitex. Some do still have Microscan. But most of it is going automated, and um, not just Maldi and molecular, but um, even the, the plating and the incubation is, is being come, becoming automated. Uh, at least two of our clinical affiliates here in the St. Louis area um, are automated. Uh, so some, some things that I have noticed though from talking with our affiliates is them, especially the older techs saying that, um, you know, the, the younger techs are, relying um, on the instruments too much to give them results. Um, not being able to, what we, we talked about earlier, um, being able to pick out the important colonies from the normal flora, having a very hard time with that. So, um, so I think we still definitely need to be able to recognize colony, morph colony morphology, differentiate normal flora from potential pathogens, work through problems because we all know Maldi goes down, right? Maldi instruments break, 
instruments have downtime. Um, and then sometimes they have difficulty differentiating certain groups of organisms. Um, so you still have to be able to rely on what you know a little bit. So I have I have mixed mixed feelings about about it, but I need to just go with the times. I mean, uh, I feel like I'm getting stuck in becoming an old crotchety uh, person who <laughs> is like, well, in my day, we knew how to do everything. Um, so I think it has its advantages and disadvantages, but I definitely still think it's important to know your basic biochemicals and your basic colony morphology. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And definitely, it's definitely, you know, technology is very helpful. And especially in large facilities, like if that thing breaks down, we all having a very hard day. But yeah, definitely keeping in mind the, the knowledge of the biochemicals and things can go wrong, you know. What if, you know, the person that's setting up the Maldi for you, they don't know what the colony looks like and they're set something else and then you don't know what it is and you accept that ID. Or the same thing, what if someone scanned the wrong patient when they were setting up that colony and you don't know what it is. So definitely we see cases like that. And, and yeah, it's very helpful, especially, you know, if you need to rule out something, especially if you don't do susceptibilities that you put it there, you get your ID, your culture is done. But I do see sometimes, you know, like people just, oh, Maldi failed. Um, then we go ahead and sub it out. And then you're holding that culture and they haven't even done a gram stain at all. So this is the things that get me a little bit. It's like, okay, what if it's just do that gram stain? And what if it's a lactobacillus on a urine culture? Looks like lacto, you have a normal urogenital flora. You're done with it. But they don't want to go. And then this is the thing. Yeah, when they present a case or something, it's like, have you done a gram stain? And it's like, oh no, I haven't yet. So it's like, okay, that's the first step. Yeah. Or even let's let's say um strep agalactiae versus listeria, let's say. Right? If you don't do your basic biochemicals or your uh or or a gramstein, you know, that could lead you down two very different paths. Um and you know, while Maldi should should pick that up you know, you could just see potential complications there. And then the other scenario that I can see is um, having uh, potential bioterrorism organisms and knowing, uh, knowing, you know, that you should not be putting those on, on the Maldi, at least for our clinical affiliates, their procedure, you know, no, that should not, <laughs> nothing that is a potential bioterrorism organism should be going on the Maldi. Um, so being able to screen for those and recognize those um, is always, you know, important. Uh, we live in an area um, where Francisella is endemic. Um, so we do get Francisella's, you know, outside of a bioterrorism scenario, but you have to treat it very carefully, right? So um, we talk about the importance of definitely being able to know when to be, when those little alarm bells should go off in your, in your brain about um, potential bioterrorism organisms and the simple spot test that you can do to, um, prevent you from exposing an entire laboratory, essentially. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely happened. And we had sometimes, you know, like a, a sample that ended up being Brucella, you know, it's four or five people get implicated in the whole thing. Yeah. So it's it, with unawareness, you know, things can go that way really quick. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Yeah. This is a topic that I can, you know, talk for a lot because it's a very dear subject to me, but Definitely. Um, is there anything else that you want to add? Well, I just want to say, you know, this is this is something that um, 
in the educators community, we talk about quite a bit, like there is just a thread on our um, educators listserv. I don't know if you're on the educators listserv or not, but um, a thread just came through teaching microbiology with increasing automation used in practice. So everyone is struggling with determining um, should they continue having ordering these traditional biochemicals in the student lab for the students to practice? Um, should they just talk about them? Um, you know, when will the ASC, when will the board of certification remove biochemicals completely from uh, their exam? That kind of a thing. So the debate goes on and on. Um, so while we still have to teach a lot of the biochemicals, because as far as we know, there's still exam questions about them. So we don't want to do the students a disservice. We want them to do well on their exam. But at the same time, we also want to prepare them for what they're going to be seeing in real life. So, you know, I'll get feedback from my students that, um, you know, oh, you made us memorize all these, all these biochemicals and all these things. But all we did was put things on the Maldi. Um, you know, so they're they're a little salty about it. Um, but then once they they start studying for the certification exam, they see that those those are practice questions that they need to be able to answer. So I think we have to somehow find a balance between removing some of this old material that um, is no longer routinely used. Uh, it may be used in some smaller labs, but honestly, smaller labs are going away and they're sending all of their micro out to reference labs anyway, or hospital systems are consolidating their micro labs so that they don't all do their own micro anymore. So um it's, it's hard, it's hard to figure out, you know, what should the board of certification keep on the exam? What should they get rid of? Um, and then how do we then transition our student labs so that we can um, account for all of the automation? I mean, we're not gonna get Maldi in our student labs, right? Uh, we're not gonna have biofires in our student lab. Um, so, you know, what then do we do? with our students in student labs to help prepare them for what they're going to see in clinic. It's, it's an ongoing discussion and it's tricky. Yeah, I, I see that. And it's definitely a, ch a challenge. And there are some like, uh, you know, like, uh, like TSIs and, you know, I have never done a TSI in any lab that I have been worked on all my years, but you get, you know, you get questions about it in your boards and stuff. So you have to cover it. And I know like when I post pictures of, of TSI, like on social media, some people will like, why are you showing this? Or we don't need this. It's unnecessary. But students, you know, they do have to learn about it because they get tested on. So I, I do have to teach them some of that stuff. But at the same time, I try to keep it in line with the same biochemicals that they're using in the hospital sites. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, like you see, I try to get the same, you know, the same catalase, same coagulase, same strip typing. That way, you know, they when they go to their sites, they're like, okay, this is what I use, this is what I did. But I can definitely see the challenge in that and and what we're teaching and then what they're actually gonna use when they get to the lab. Well, definitely, uh, you know, Amanda, it's been great having you. You know, thank you so much for taking the time to come in into Let's Talk Micro. Oh, thank you. I'm always happy to talk micro. So thank you for inviting me and I had a great time. Definitely, my pleasure.
And that, my dear audience, is the end of this episode. I hope you enjoy learning about the St. Louis University Medical Laboratory Sciences program and name that bug. As always, I enjoy sharing information with you, connecting with people. So, as I said on the intro, happy lab week. You know, thank you all for all the medical professionals out there, medical lab professionals out there, for all the work you do, all the way from teaching students, from being a director of the program, from being a manager, a lab director, working on the bench, you know, all the way from typing that unit to doing the chemistry test, that hematology, doing your microcultures. Thank you for everything you do. You know, we had challenging times and everyone rose to that challenge and helped the patients and did their best. So shout out to you all. Happy lab week. As always, continue bringing that passion to what you do. It's so important. We do such great work. So as always, stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time. Bye.